Now, I really like to make plans. I think it's in my blood. It's something that's been passed down through my family. And so when we're going to go on a trip, we're going to find a restaurant, we're going to go on vacation, I love to do research. I love to figure out all the ins and outs of the best places to go. Where should we avoid? Where should we stay? Where should we eat? Now, I'm going to show you an incredible document, and it's going to be up on the screen. And this is a picture of a one-page document that my grandpa put together. Now, this was a trip that our family took together a number of years ago to Death Valley for Thanksgiving. And on this one side of one page, there are all sorts of abbreviations, all sorts of codes, and it had the flight arrangements, the hotel accommodations, all of the meals, and all of the excursions for 20 people in our family. So you can see that this has definitely been handed down generation after generation. Now, also a number of years ago, our immediate family went to Walt Disney World together. And so in preparation for this trip, I sought out the very best guidebook that I could find. And so I found this book, and one of my favorite parts of the book was you could go to the very last pages, and there was a plan for each day you were in the park. And the promise was that if you would follow this plan and you could tear it out of the back of the book, if you would follow it to a T, they guaranteed you'd get on all the rides you wanted to go on with very minimal waiting time. So I was all about this. I studied the whole book. But there was a, some stories, kind of testimonies towards the end of the book. And one of them was about a woman who was so into the plan, she was so obsessed with it, that when they deviated from the plan because of something going on, she had a panic attack and had to be hospitalized. And so my wife was reading this book kind of along with me. And one night when I went in to go to bed, it was on my pillow to that page, to that story. Maybe a little warning for how I sometimes operate. So today, James, as we are studying the book of James, wants to examine how we approach plans in our life. And it goes for whether we are making a 10-year plan or whether we're just looking a few days into the future. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, turn on your Bible if it's on your phone, and go with me to James chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 13. And a reminder for you of kind of where James is in the whole landscape of the Bible. James is towards the end of the New Testament, which means it's towards the end of your Bible. If you have a paper copy, it's right after the book of Hebrews. If you get into the Peters, Johns, and all the way through Revelation, you've gone a little bit too far. So again, James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. And James says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. 
So James starts out in verse 13 by sharing a situation that is still very relatable for us today, even 2,000 years later, because he's talking about a merchant or a business owner who has a plan, a business plan, for how they're going to maximize their profits and expand their market share. So they're thinking about what is going to, what are the things I can do to make sure that I see more success and more profit? Now, some of you have done this very thing. Maybe it's a core part of your career. Maybe others of you are in the middle of strategizing a business plan. Now, most any of us has experience in making some goal statements, making some plans, whether it's a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, maybe it's just a plan for the upcoming two or three months. Some people here, maybe you're planning for future schooling. Maybe you're planning for a new job or a new career. Maybe you're planning for a new life stage, like retirement is right around the corner. Maybe you're planning for a new relationship. Maybe the reality for most of us is we're simply trying to plan for what the new normal might look like when things start to shift in the season that we're in. But to all of us, wherever we're at, in the regards to planning, James wants to point out a common problem. And that's when our plans leave out God. James knows that it is human nature for us to be overly confident in our own abilities, to get ahead of ourselves as we start to think about what the future might look like. And oftentimes when we get in planning mode, we, f- we forget to consult, to include, or to consider God's point of view. And I think if we're honest today, we know this happens way too easily in our everyday life. Because we end up going from meeting to meeting, person to person, appointment to appointment, without fully connecting with God, without bringing him in to all the details. We go through so many aspects of our life with little regard to what his plans are, his ideas, his dreams for us. And I think what this really highlights for us is the difficulty we have coming under his authority. You see, we try to live our life without being dependent on anyone else. We don't celebrate dependence, right? We don't have parades and fireworks show when we celebrate being dependent on anyone else. No, our culture is all about celebrating independence. We don't need anyone else. We want to go it alone. We want to be free. We want to be autonomous. And no one else should get in the way of our plans, But church, today, what I want you to consider, what James is going to teach us, is that when we make a declaration of dependence on God, it's then that we will experience true freedom and peace. This is so countercultural. It's so difficult for us as human beings. But when we take that step of faith to declare dependence on God, it's only then that we will experience the freedom and the peace that he wants for us. So James points out in verse 13, 
three ways that we resist dependence in our life. And three specific ways are in regard to our time, our choices, and our abilities. So verse 13 starts out with today or tomorrow. And it's really that tendency we have to try to, to, try to control our timing and our schedule. We like to think we can perfectly put together a plan on a calendar to achieve our purposes. Well, he goes on to say, we're going to a certain town, and it's where we like to be in control of choices. We figure we know best, we can do enough research, we can be in control of the best choices. And then it ends by saying, we'll make a profit which is about putting faith in our own abilities. Because we're told from an early age that if we just work hard, if we put our head down, if we do our best, we will be successful. It's the essence of the American dream, right? And so we love to try to control every aspect of situations. We figure if we plan properly, if we manage well, if we execute well, if we have the right contingencies, well, then everything's bound to be good. I mean, think about how planning for trips and vacations has changed just in the last decade or so. You know, it used to be maybe you'd consult friends or family, get word of mouth uh, recommendations for restaurants or places to stay. But today you can log on to all sorts of different websites. You can go on Facebook, you can go on Google, you can go on TripAdvisor, and you can find out every minute detail about every place you're going. You can look up a hotel and find out if it's a good place to stay, but not only that, you can find out that room 207 has low water pressure, so do not stay in that particular room. You can find out this particular restaurant has great chicken, but their steak is kind of suspect. We can find out so many details that make us so confident in our planning. And it makes us feel like we can be in total control until life happens like it always does. And I think it's then when we're in those challenging times, when we're in the pressure points of life, that suddenly we remember to bring God back into the equation. But what does that usually look like? It looks like blame, right? Like, God, what are you doing now? Why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you step in? What we really want deep down is for God to bless our plans and to give us the results we want. And so we continue to try to declare independence. But James wants us to understand that we are truly dependent on so many things beyond our control. That that declaration of independence that we want to make is just an illusion He's saying, do you think you're really independent? You have no need for anyone, no need for God? Well, every single night you go to bed, you go to sleep, and you have no guarantee that you're going to wake up. Not only that, you need food, you need air, you need water. You are so dependent that without those things, you'll quickly die. And in each of these things that we take for granted, God is reminding us, you are dependent on me and all that I provide for you. Now church, I think the problem is, the better off we are, the more comfortable we are, the more likely 
we are to try to live independent from God, the harder it is to see our dependence on him. It's easy to look at our circumstances, to look at our life and say, yeah, see, I've got it under control. I'm good. I'm bulletproof. And to this kind of attitude, James says, even if you have success and security in the eyes of the world, ultimately you are still dependent on God. In verse 14, he basically says, you're alive today. But you have no idea what tomorrow looks like. Like basically, tomorrow is not guaranteed. In fact, brunch today is not guaranteed. So how are you going to live your life in light of that reality? Who ultimately are you living for? Think for a moment about a fish swimming in a lake, swimming in the ocean, who decides, you know what, this water is keeping me, holding me back. I want to experience true freedom. Well, once that fish comes out of the water, they're not going to last very long, right? It's the same thing for us when we think we can live independently of God's authority and God's help. See, the truth is you were made for him. James says you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how great your plans are. All of us are living for something. All of us are trying to find meaning somewhere. But if we put that emphasis, if we focus in on beauty, we know every one of us is going to age. If we put that focus on athletics, it's easy to get injured, isn't it? If we put that focus on money, well, who knows if we're going to go through a recession any day. If we try to put that emphasis on fame, it always fades away. All of these targets are not solid foundations because they are contingent and dependent on other circumstances. None of these things that we often live our life for will ultimately hold us up in the chaos of this world. St. Augustine is a theologian who lived many centuries ago. He wrote something very profound and something very relatable even for us today. Essentially what he says is our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. The only way to find a solid foundation, the only way to find a strong anchor for our life is to put that emphasis, to put faith in something that is not dependent on other circumstances. And the only person, the only thing that meets that criteria is God himself. Our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in God. So here's the paradox, church. If you want to experience true freedom, you have to give up control. You were made for him, and your heart will be restless until it connects back to him. Now, in the very first pages of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of how Satan shows up to Adam and Eve. And what Satan tells them is that they can actually be like God if they just eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
He's telling them, if you just do this, if you get this bigger picture of good and evil, you're going to be just like God. But you know what? When we try to cling to control in our life, we do the exact same thing. We try to take God's place. When we try to act like we have it all together, we're just pretending like we have his power. James is ready to burst our bubble, and he says, how do you know? How do you know what life's going to be like? Even tomorrow, you're just like a morning fog. It's here for a little bit, and then it's gone. The only one who truly knows what's coming next, the only one who truly understands all the aspects of life is the one who's eternal. When our plans get interrupted, when things don't go, don't go the way that we hope, we should let that point us back to God and away from ourselves. Every circumstance, every struggle, every pressure point should remind us whose we are and where we're meant to be. I heard a pastor say one time this very profound statement, every human limitation is a divine invitation. Instead of a reason for frustration or anger or disappointment, we should realize that our limitations are an invitation for God to come in and do something amazing. You can try to just ram your way through those difficult times in life and you'll end up getting hurt and disappointed or you can use them to acknowledge your need for God, the need for his presence and his power. See, God desperately wants to enter your life and help you find the hope and assurance that you're looking for. But it's oftentimes during those challenging times, those trials of life, that we don't accept the invitation. Instead, what do we often do? We get angry with God. We criticize him. We second guess his wisdom. I remember many times when my kids were much, much younger, when they would question our parenting. Like four or five years old, did you ever have this happen with your kids? Like basically you'd say, here's the rule or here's what we're gonna do and they'd look up at you and be like, no, I think we should do this. And you're like, you're four, you're five, you have no idea what you're talking about. You can't hardly dress yourself. But think about how we do that to God. We think, you know what, I know better than you do. God, I've got better plans than you do. But think about how, smart, how much smarter and wiser and higher God is than us. I mean, do we really want to criticize and question the eternal God of the universe? James says, don't forget, God already knows what tomorrow will bring, and you don't. But then when we start to wrap our mind around that, I mean, we think, but I'm really struggling right now. This is a super difficult season. Life is really, really hard. If God knows what's going on, then why in the world is this happening to me? Makes me think back to when our son Soren was very small. From an early age, he's had to have a number of MRIs. And for a young child, that's a very scary prospect, right? This big tube that you have to go in and be perfectly still. And so when he was young, he had to have sedated MRIs. So I remember one of the first times that we had to do this. I took him to Children's Hospital, and I was brought back to the room, and my job was to hold him 
still as he was put under. So the anesthesiologist came in the room, tried to make a few jokes. He was squirming around, and eventually this mask started to come at his face, and he flipped out. And he started to try to rip away from me, tried to run away, and the doctor said, just hold him tight. Well, of course, I'm bigger and stronger, so I'm holding him in there, and he's looking up at me. And his look said everything. He's looking at me saying, how could you do this to me? You're on their side? Well, eventually, he suddenly realized that he wasn't going to get free. And so he made a shift. And he looked into my eyes and basically said, I can't process the lights, the smells, this huge tube, this mask coming at my face. And so I'm just going to look to you to find comfort. Now, church, I think in many of the same ways, we go through that whole series of emotions when it comes to God. First, we experience anger and disappointment when we go through those struggles of life and we say to God, God, how could you? You're a part of this? Too often we stop there. But what if we would do the next thing, just like Soren did? What if we would look up to him and we would realize that he's present and that he's powerful What if we were able to say, I don't understand what's going on, but at least I know you are here with me. And not only that, I know you are a good father. You are graceful, you are merciful, and you're loving. Look at verse 16. James tells us bluntly what our biggest problem is when we don't depend on God, when we try to cling to control, when we try to dictate our own circumstances, he says, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. That's such a weird word to choose, boasting, but what he's trying to get at is that deep down, this is a problem with pride. When our pride gets in the way, we have a hard time listening to anyone else. It's our pride that gives us a false sense of security, gives us too much confidence in our own ability. Pride is essentially telling God, God, I know better than you do. You don't really know what you're doing. I'm going to take the wheel back. I've got it all under control. Pride causes us to make a declaration of independence instead of dependence. And what this does is it causes us to fracture our relationship with the God who loves us. So the big question for each one of us today is how do we get back to being fully dependent on God? How do we make sure that our plans center around him and not just ourselves? Well, look at verse 15. It says, what you ought to say is that if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Now, I don't want you to hear this as there's some sort of magic words that we have to say. It's not a secret formula. When your plans don't come out the way you want them to, it's not because you didn't say the right combination of things. Also, this is not an invitation to annoy other people. Like if they say, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? You don't have to always respond, well, if the Lord wants me to. No, what this is about is making a commitment to submit your plans to God, 
Simply include him in the process. James is not saying to us, don't plan anything or don't have goals, don't have dreams. If you read the Gospels, Jesus had plenty of plans. Paul had plans. The book of Proverbs is a lot about planning. Plans are good, but plans are not God. Make space for him to move. Leave space for him to come in and sometimes completely blow up your plan. Be open-handed with your plans and let God have the last word. So some questions for you to consider this morning. Are you willing to let God interrupt your best laid plans? Are you willing to submit your plans to him? Are you willing to not have such a busy and overscheduled life that you have enough space for the Holy Spirit to move and lead and guide? Are you willing to make a declaration of dependence on God today? If the last year has taught us anything, it's that our plans can and will change, right? No matter how much we think we're in control, we really aren't. And we have to decide what we're going to do with that. Make sure your first and most important plan is to let God show up and move. We never know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the next hour will bring. But God does, and he wants to be actively involved in your life. Now, imagine the freedom and the peace you would experience if you would surrender all your planning to him. To say, I don't know it all, I don't understand it all, I don't need to do it all. James says you can experience that freedom today. You can be free in Christ. Let God be in control. I want you to notice one more thing in verse 15 before we close it out. Verse 15, James says, if the Lord wants, or some translations say, if the Lord wills, you will be completely successful. It's not what he says at all. He says, if the Lord wants us to, if the Lord wills, we will live. God is so much more focused on us experiencing true life than experiencing success. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to truly live, stay connected to Jesus. Remain dependent on him in all you say and do. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to fix it all. We don't have to be it all. We don't have to do it all because Jesus paid it all. So again, remember, when we make a declaration of dependence on God, we will experience true freedom and peace. I think there's one step we can take right now to do this by simply saying to God, Lord, I need you. Acknowledge your need for his presence and his power. Now this might look different for each one of us. Maybe it's saying today, Lord, I need you for salvation. I need you for hope. I need you for peace. I need you for comfort. I need you for reassurance. I need you for confidence. Lord, I need you. 
and I will remain dependent on you. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that in a world of things that are not dependable, you are always dependable. You are solid. You're a strong foundation. And so God, help us to shift our faith away from ourselves and to put our faith in you. Help us to make a declaration of dependence today, to say, Lord, I need you. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our lives. And so help each one of us take that step of faith to acknowledge our need for you. Help us to walk closely with you each and every day. So God, we pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together.